Well, good morning. Why don't we take a minute and pray? Father, we just look to you this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. That through it all, O oh Lord, we can be well in our soul. That's because of you and the difference you make in our lives. We look to you this morning. I think some are probably carrying some heavy burdens today. Give us, O oh Lord, the grace to turn those over to you. That the peace that surpasses all comprehension will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ. We pray for our country, Lord. We lift it up, especially the division that just seems to be dividing us more and more, Lord. We look to you for grace, for wisdom. We ask you, Lord, today as we look at your word that you speak to us through it and grab a hold of our heart to recognize the power of the message that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know that when I was at Bible college, I ended up wrestling on the wrestling team. I'd never wrestled before, uh, but this was a small school, and they needed someone desperately in this weight class. Now, I would not recommend that you start at the collegiate level. You're just at a little bit of a disadvantage, but um, they needed someone at the 119 weight class, which... I understand the starting weight is now 125, but I was, I was well under 119, and so I said, fine, I'll wrestle. I was horrible. I, I didn't win a single match. In fact, I thought I kind of wasted my time. At the end of the year, they had this award ceremony, and they brought together the athletes from all the different sports in in an auditorium, and we all sat down, and then one by one, the coaches went up on the stage and would read the name of an athlete. He or she would then make his or her way up. Some nice comments were said, and then that athlete would get a letter. They were giving out these, these little M patches, really kind of nice, a letter, kind of like you get in high school, something that could be sewn to a jacket. I didn't want to go to the award ceremony because I figured I'm certainly not getting a letter. And it was just the whole thing was embarrassing. I mean, who, who expects to go to a award ceremony when you didn't win a single match? Certainly not going to get any kind of award, but the other wrestlers um, were going and it just seemed like I, I just, I think I just need to go. And so that night I went and one by one the different coaches went up there and said nice things about the athletes. And if I remember correctly, the wrestling team was last. We were the smallest team, but also a W, wrestling, and, and so finally our coach went up there and he began to read the names, and I wondered what was going to happen as he was going through the alphabet, what would happen when he came to H for my last name, would he, would he even call my name, would he, I didn't know what he was going to even do, and all of a sudden he called my name, and then I, I sat there for a minute, like, um, am I supposed to go up there? And I decided to, I, you know, things got quiet for a moment. I, I guess I, I'm supposed to go up there, and I made my way, my way up. The things he said about me were surprising, shocking to me. He said that Tim was one of the most valuable members of our team. We could not have had a winning season without him. And I don't know what all he said, but it was almost like he was describing a different person, and then he handed me my letter, and I, I just was kind of shocked. I, don't, I shouldn't have been. If I'd thought about it, I, I guess I shouldn't have been, but 
I hadn't thought about it, and I made my way back to the seat, and I began to think about the whole thing, and I realized what he was talking about. The other schools we wrestled, obviously, were small as well. And they couldn't get people at the 119 weight class. And so really what happened during the year is that I went week after week, showed up for the match. Week after week, they called 119. Nobody showed up on the other team. I walked over there in my leotards, <laughs> my singlet, let the guy raise my hand, six points. They loved me. I think I wrestled once that year, officially. I think one team had someone in my weight class, that was it. The rest of the matches were six points for our team, six points for our team. I think I had two exhibition matches where I wrestled up, they call it, where they had a weight class we didn't, and so I ended up just as an exhibition match, but that was it. Today we're going to wrap up our series titled Impact. It's been a series about trying to have an impact with our lives, especially for God who created us, to have some kind of an impact. And I kind of think this story summarizes a lot of the things we've talked about. The first week of this series, I talked about the fact that we really need to get connected my takeaway was together we can have a greater impact than we can alone. That we are what Paul referred to as the body of Christ, where you're like a part of the body of Christ. You're needed in the body of Christ. You fit in. And I don't think our team obviously would have gotten any points from me if I didn't join it. If I had not joined the team, they would not have gotten those points. And suddenly you realize, boy, my part actually did matter quite a bit that I'd be part of the team. Now, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a part of the team. But the problem is a lot of us are just not connected. And we don't realize that many times our ability to have a great impact relates directly to being connected properly with the rest of the church, the body of Christ. Second week of the series, I talked about the fact that we need to discover what gifts and abilities that God has given to us, and we need to use those to have the greatest impact. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift or gifts. They're abilities to serve God and to serve other people in ways that could make a difference. If you could discover what it is, there are about 23 of them found in the pages of the Bible, which I talked about that week. On this wrestling team, I fit a particular slot, 119. I doubt there was another person in the school, another guy in the school that could have filled that slot on the men's wrestling team. And if we discover what our slot is, I think we can make a big difference. On the second week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, and I made this point that with clues God has given to us, we can discover our spiritual gifts as we turn to God about this and ask him to reveal what it is, and as again, we're properly connected. A hand makes the most sense when it's connected to an arm, which is connected to his shoulder. And then last week, I talked about a mindset that I think we need to have if we want to have a great impact, and that is this, that we need to be open to how God might want to use us here and now. Now, the first two weeks of the series had primarily to do with having an impact within the church, within the body of Christ, there's a place for you. Then last week, 
focused primarily on outside. The fact that as you go through your day, you're someone that Christ wants to use to be his hands, his feet, his mouth. But I think we go through the day and we miss all kinds of opportunities because we do not realize that most of what God wants to do is outside our doors, not inside. Almost all of the matches that I had when I was on the wrestling team were not at that school. They were outside our doors. Today, I want to talk about having an impact that's not just beyond the church or outside our walls, but a worldwide impact, something that Jesus asked his disciples to do that could make all the difference in the world. I think it's a goal that we need to have if we want to have a great impact. My takeaway this morning is this, that the greatest impact we can have in the world, I think, is to spread the gospel to spread a particular message, the good news about Christ. Now, why do I say that? Where do I get this? Earlier this week, I was meeting with some of our the teaching team members, and I was talking about wanting to talk about having a worldwide impact, and one of the guys said something that really resonated with me. I don't remember if it was a question he said or just a statement, but in a question form, it would be this. What is the one thing that Christians can do that those who are not Christians cannot do? What is it that we can do? What, what is it that we have that we can utilize or take advantage of that a person who's not a Christian cannot? And it has to do with this message of the gospel. Almost everything I've talked about up to this point is something that anybody can do. I mean, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I hope you put your trust in him at some point. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you've not been given a spiritual gift yet or an ability yet. But apart from that, everybody in this room, all of you have certain gifts, abilities, talents, strengths. You have a personality. You have things that can be used to accomplish something. And all of us could apply the, the principles I've talked about the previous weeks. Hopefully, you're working in an area in which you're strong. Hopefully, you're not doing something that you're lousy at. And we'll all in life have the greater impact when we're doing things that line up with who God made us to be. So those things apply to everybody, but we have something that people who don't know Jesus Christ do not have. We have a message and the message is so important that if people respond properly to this message, it changes their lives forever. It's a message that has an eternal impact, and it's a message that Jesus wanted to spread throughout the world. The gospel message, simply put, the message is this. That God, the creator, sent his own son, who was also God in the flesh, into this world. Or he took on flesh when he came into this world, specifically to die on the cross, specifically to pay the penalty for what you and I have done wrong. He paid in full the, the penalty that you and I earned. And he died. But he rose again from the dead. The payment was accepted by God. And we have the promise that if we'll put our trust in Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we'll receive the free gift of eternal life. 
We'll be forgiven of our sin. We'll be adopted into God's family. And a host of other things happen the moment you put your trust in Jesus. That's our message. It's a message that we can share. And if you've put your faith in Christ, you've experienced this message. And it is a privilege to share it. I remember the first time that I communicated this message with a friend of mine who was one year younger than I was. He was maybe 12 and I was 13, or he was 13, I was 14. And he responded and put his trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember thinking, I've made an eternal friend. He's a friend in our neighborhood, but he had become in that moment someone, as Jesus put it, who's transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's someone I'll see forever. I just can't hardly get a hold of this concept that there's a message we can share that is so powerful that those who believe it are transformed eternally. And they'll be with us forever, and that's the privilege we have to share this message. Now, this morning, I want to focus in the time that remains on what I think was the last scene where Jesus was with his close friends before he left this earth to return to his Father in heaven. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He's standing there with them. Let's read what happened. In verse 9, or 6 we read, So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples specifically, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, they had no idea he was about to leave them. I don't think they realized this was his final commission to them. And this translate, translation, by the way, doesn't capture it completely accurately from the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. The phrase, and you will be my witnesses, is actually an imperative in the Greek, meaning you are to be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses would be another way to put it. It's in the future tense, but it's also a command. Starting in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. Now, Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, he had died on the cross. He had been buried for three days. He was in the tomb. Suddenly, he rose again from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. For the next 40 days, he was with them, on and off. We don't know what he did with all of his time, but for 40 days, he was still here. And occasionally, we know that he met with his disciples. We read about some of the times when he just showed up in a room where his disciples were gathered and then presumably disappeared again. It's a little bit of a mystery there. Well, he was with them what I think was the last time, and they raised a question of him. Is it this time? Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel, that was the question. Is this the time? Now, why did they ask that question? Well, it's because in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies that indicate that Jesus, or at least a Messiah, we believe it was Jesus, but a Messiah is going to come, a ruler who's going to rule physically on the earth, and he's going to rule forever in Jerusalem. 
That's found in the Old Testament. There are hundreds of prophecies about it. Somebody from the line of David's going to show up. This person, a descendant of King David, is someone who's going to reign on the throne of David forever and ever. And that's prophesied all over in the Old Testament. So suddenly, after Jesus rose again from the dead, the disciples go to him and say, well, is it, is it time for you to do this? I mean, you died, you rose again. We now kind of get it that you were dying for the sins of the world. You now have your glorified body. Is now the time? And his response was no. In fact, in the next few verses, if you go to Acts 1 and verse 9, immediately after he gave them this commission, go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the other parts of the earth, in verse 9 we read, after he said those words, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes, clothes, or clothes I mean, stood by him. I think those were angels. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. So Jesus said, go into all the world. And then all of a sudden, to their surprise, he just started ascending into heaven. And while they're looking up, these two guys, angels in human form, say, why are you guys looking up? The same Jesus, the same one, the same one, not a different one, is going to come back in the same way, physically, bodily. He's coming back to this earth. We believe that. We believe Jesus is coming back to reign. I think it's going to be soon. But Jesus wanted to give them their marching orders for while he was gone. Again, they didn't know he was about to leave. These were the last things he said to them. And so in Acts 1 and verse 7, when they asked the question, is it the time, it says Jesus' response was, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, don't worry about the when. He said, I just want you to be my witnesses. The next verse, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to the very ends of the earth. It's going to be like a pebble when dropped in the water that the ripple goes out, the little ring of water spreads out. That's what I want to happen. Starting in Jerusalem, this city, Judea and Samaria is the region in which they lived. And then he says, beyond, the widest circle will be the ends of the earth. That is what I want you to be doing. I want you to be my witnesses. I'm convinced, by the way, that the last sign that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back is that the gospel has to get to the end of the world. The last person needs to respond to the message that's going to, and then the end comes. Jesus said something to that effect in Matthew 25 and verse 14, where Jesus said the good news, this good news, which is the word for gospel, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's when I'm coming back. We need to get this message out. It needs to spread throughout the world. So you will be my witnesses. I find it noteworthy that Jesus did not say, you will be 
ones who will witness for me. He, he didn't say, I want you to witness, in other words. He said, you'll be my witnesses. You say, what's the difference? Well, one of those things is something we're supposed to do, namely witness. The other one is something we're supposed to be. And Jesus focused on the being. What I want, what I'm asking of you, I'm not asking you to witness. I'm asking you to be witnesses of mine. What is a witness? I know it's one of those Christianese words. People talk about witnessing to other people. What is a witness? Well, the word basically means to give testimony. Of course, that's another one. Who has a testimony? It's another one of these religious words that churches use. People don't know what it means. It basically means to speak about what you've seen. A scholar by the name of Newman put it this way. The focus in witness is speaking from personal experience. Another scholar by the name of Paul here indicates that it's a word, the word witness was a word that uh, often had legal connotations. You think of somebody that's in a courtroom and they are a witness, and then you have to decide how reliable you think they are as a witness. But what does a witness do? A witness speaks about what he or she has seen, heard, or experienced. When we're called upon to witness, that's what we're called to do. We speak about Jesus who did something in our life that we want to tell other people about. And that's exactly what Jesus was calling his disciples to do. I want you to speak about what you've seen, what you've heard. The guys that were standing with Jesus the last time they spoke together, there were the 11 disciples. The 12th one, of course, Judas had hanged himself after betraying Jesus. And then we know from 1 Corinthians, there was actually on that mountain before Jesus rose up, there were 500. Most of these were people who had been with Jesus for three years watching him. They were ones who had witnessed his miracles. They had heard him teach. They watched him crucified. They knew he died. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They didn't expect him to rise again, but now they'd seen the risen Jesus. He had this new glorified, new and improved body, and they saw him go into heaven, or at least at this point, they were going to see him going into heaven. They're being called upon to go out and tell everybody about this Jesus so that people can put their trust in him. Why does it matter so much? Well, again, as I I mentioned because I'm convinced that it is the message that people have to believe if they're going to get to heaven. I want to mention the next week, I want to begin a new series titled Clear as Mud, and it has to do with the message. And next week, I want to answer the question, why is it that Christians are so arrogant as to think that they've got the answer to how people get to heaven. Like they're the only ones that are right. Why do Christians think that? I want to answer why next week with this new series. But I'm convinced that the message is that important that those who put their trust in Jesus will receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And so our responsibility as forgiven ones is to go out and tell people, I... I've met Jesus, he changed my life. And he can change yours too, because he changes our lives in the present, but also in the future. 
Our responsibility is to join together, and part of the reason the church exists, maybe the main reason, is so we get this message out. People need to hear about our Jesus because there's an eternal consequence to this message. People have got to respond to it. You see, this particular commission that Jesus gave is about the only thing we, we know Jesus talked about for 40 days. He was with his friends for 40 days. The only thing we know he talked about was, he talked about the kingdom of heaven, but we don't know what he even said about that. It's not recorded anywhere what he even said. The only thing we know he even talked about was, please be witnesses of mine. And he repeated that several times. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. By the way, that's a claim to his deity. How can somebody say all authority in heaven is mine unless they're God? That's what he's claiming. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age, which hasn't come yet, so we know Jesus is still with us. So what is it that I hope we'll walk away with in terms of an application this morning? Well, some of you perhaps today have not yet put your trust in Jesus. That's the starting point, that God sent his son to be the savior of the world, to die in your place and for your sin. But... In order to receive the forgiveness of sin, we have to come to a point in our life where we see our spiritual condition, we recognize we can't fix it, and we turn to Jesus as God's solution to the problem, the one who died in our place and for our sin. We receive him as our savior by faith. We welcome him. Most do it through a prayer. Dear God, I know I've blown it. I need a savior, and I do believe you sent Jesus to die for me. I want his death and resurrection to count for me. And God promises that he'll forgive us of our sin. That's kind of the simplicity of it. But if you want to know more about that, I'd point you in a variety of directions. One is starting point. Go to the orientation right after the service. Because starting point begins with that whole idea of what God's eternal plan was and where you fit into it. And it's excellent. The program is it's excellent. That small group is excellent. Uh, or I encourage you to come back next week. Or... Immediately after the service, we'll have people up here that are willing to pray with you or talk with you. Ask them about it. Or we offer a free booklet out in the lobby at the information kiosk there, the welcome center there. They'll give you a free booklet. And you'll learn more about this. If you're already a believer in Christ, I want to point you in with some other possible applications. One is what we call invest and invite. We encourage you to develop relationships with people who are not Christians or even who are far from God just loving people. And that will provide opportunities for you many times to invite them, either to church, like the service next week as we begin to talk about this gospel message, or invite them to Jesus yourself if you're able, if you understand how to lead someone to faith in Christ. Invest and invite. The second thing is starting new churches is our church-wide approach to reaching the world for Christ. We like to plant a church in a city where the gospel will resound outward from that new beachhead, if I can put it that way. And so we started a church about 15 years ago in Charleston. We started one in Fairmont. 
Our Charleston church has started one now in Taze Valley. And our Fairmont church now has started one in Bridgeport. We're taking over the state. We want the gospel to go out everywhere, loving people to Jesus. Because by this will people know we're his disciples, our love for one another. And then, in the spring of 2020, Lord willing, we're starting a church. Josh Rhodes is going to lead it in Wheeling. That's our next church plant a place. We've already identified some potential places to meet in Wheeling. Now, I want to mention, if you know people in Wheeling, or if you have an interest in participating in that, I want to encourage you to sign up on our website just to get the updates to find out what's going on. And this is the, the address for it, theridge.church forward slash wheeling. And uh, just sign up the little form that's there and we'll send you updates. So that's part of what we're doing. A third thing we're doing is we're supporting missionary efforts in other countries around the world. That's one way to get the message out. We're supporting missionaries in a variety of different countries, especially though we focus more on Central America and part of the fulfillment of that one, in terms of even getting the message out there, is joining short-term missions trips. And so I want to show you a short clip from the last trip uh, where they, they uh, built uh, a chicken coop and provided chickens that you paid for, the church paid for here, $4,000 to build the coop, buy all the chickens so they could support uh, dozens and dozens of children there, but also the extra eggs are going to be sold for money. Eventually, we want people to have these coops, and as they prosper, to help someone else get started with a coop so that they could take care of themselves. I want to show you this very short video. It's not real long. We also built a house here and provided that for free. I want to show you a short video, and then I'm going to close with one other unique opportunity that the church now has that we didn't have in the past to have a worldwide impact. So watch this short video.
providing uh, eggs for the people that live in that whole community around there as well. What a difference. If you're, by the way, interested in the next missions trip, it's going to be in February to the Dominican Republic, which is a new church start that came out of the one in La Ceiba that we helped start as well. And you can get information at the Ridge.Church mission to participate in that. The last thing I want to mention, though, in terms of worldwide influence is that because of the internet, you have the ability now to get across your message to the whole world. I am shocked at the numbers of people that go online who watch the service that we provide and come and learn about Christ through our website. But part of what Beyond was about when we were talking about Beyond, and we still are, of course, and helping support Beyond is about getting new camera equipment so that our online presence is improved greatly. Because right now, what we put online comes from a little camera in the back. And we want to buy a couple of other cameras, more high-definition ones that we can work together, coordinate so that our online presence gets incredibly better so the people are drawn to the website. People are sharing it all over. And this is part of the way that we get the message of the gospel throughout the whole world. So as you're supporting Beyond and some of that, that's part of our strategy as well. Also, that online presence, eventually, with good cameras, we may be able to also plant some video churches, allow the message that's done here live to be projected with its own pastoral and other staff in other cities. So we're about, we've been impacted by Christ ourselves. We just want to impact the world with this amazing message, and we hope you'll join with us in all of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you that you love the world so much that you sent him for us, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer eternal ruin, but instead will have eternal life. And we want to spread that message to the whole world. We thank you, Lord, for time together here in Jesus' name. Amen.